Blog Talk Radio. Choices, decisions, frustrations, and pain. Knowing I'm going to forget her someday. While I still can, I'll challenge all my loved ones, every friend, to look inside their hearts and understand that I. Well, hi, everyone, and welcome to Alzheimer's Speaks Radio. You are listening to While I Still Can, the new release of Rick Phelps uh, from Memory People. I welcome you all today here on the show, and it's going to be a special day, um, a very intimate look of caring for a loved one with dementia. Here at Alzheimer's Speaks, we believe in giving voice to those afflicted with memory loss as well as their care partners, empowering everyone to live purpose-filled lives. Our goal is to raise awareness, give hope, and share the real everyday life stories of living with Alzheimer's and dementia. Our hope is to teach people how to live with the disease, not as the disease. And I'm so happy that Rick Phelps, our channel expert who has early onset Alzheimer's disease, is able to make it on the show today. Rick was diagnosed in June of 2010, and he is the founder of Memory People on Facebook, a wonderful support group that has over 1,800 people around the world joining forces together, sharing stories, and supporting one another. Um, Welcome, Rick. How are you doing today? I'm doing good, Lori. I'm happy to be with you today. Wonderful. Lord knows we can't do this alone, and so it really is about joining forces together, and that's one of the things that I'm so proud of with the Alzheimer's Speaks radio and blog and resource website. It's really about all of us trying to shift um, caregiving from crisis to comfort by sharing our knowledge, our insights, our passions, and we encourage you as our listeners to join us in this mission. Who knows, you could be the next voice we hear on the air. Um, If you have a story to tell, I would love to talk to you. If you are someone with early memory loss or a care partner, family or friends, or maybe you're a business professional that's just doing something a little different and would like help spreading the word, please contact me. We'd love, we'd love to have you be part of the show. I'm going to introduce our guest in just a moment, but first I want to remind people if they want to join the conversation, it's really easy. All you have to do is use your chat box, um, and hopefully when you signed in, you use Facebook because that will get you into my studio chat box. And just type in a comment, and I will address that uh, question or comment when there's a break in the conversation. Or you can always call in live, and that number is 714-364-4754. Again, that's 714-364-47, and I said the number wrong, it's 47. Five seven. So I have a typo in my paper I just got. <laughs> um, and again, you'll be asked to push one um, once you uh, dial in to get into the studio. 
So with no further ado, I'm going to introduce our guest today. Sumner Richmond is a retired bi- um, biology professor who taught for 40 years at Lawrence University in Appleton, Wisconsin, after receiving his Ph.D. at the University of Michigan. While at Lawrence, he developed courses in aquatic um, ecology and marine biology, working closely with students in courses and in research projects on Lake Michigan and um, over in the Gulf in Israel and the Cayman Islands and Coral Reef. So he's done all kinds of really neat things in his life. He's particularly proud of his students, and many have gone on for advanced degrees in the field of aquatic ecology and marine biology, and now have active careers in the field. After retiring 15 years ago, Sumner and his wife Joyce moved to the Twin Cities here in Minnesota, where their two sons and three grandkids live. This uh, coming August, they're going to celebrate their 60th wedding anniversary. Four years ago, Joyce was diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease. Sumner is her caregiver, and you know he's with us today to help others um, through this process via his experiences and what he's learned to be an effective caregiver. So welcome, Sumner, and congratulations on 60 years together. That's just absolutely fabulous. Thank you so much. It's nice to be with you, Lori. Well, I I very much appreciate you taking the time and being willing to share such an intimate story. I mean, caring for someone in your personal life, um, that's that's not something that everybody um, can do or is willing to do. But I I have to tell you, it's so important for us to hear voices like yours because it helps so many people around the world. So what I would like to do is go ahead and just... uh, just get started here. If you can give us a little bit more background on yourself and and your wife, you know, what was life like before dementia? Um, maybe would be a a good background for us. Sure. Well, we we uh, have always had very active lives. We've uh, since I've retired, we've traveled all all around the world. Uh, first, that uh, <clears throat> even during my career, I had meetings. In uh, in a variety of countries in Europe and in in uh, Russia and the in the Far East and so on and many times my wife would come with me uh, and but now uh, our traveling is pretty much over because my wife uh, has trouble getting around and uh, uh, but um, all things considered I think we're we're doing pretty well and uh, I've learned a lot about the disease and um, and I'm coming from the from the perspective that uh, for many years uh, my wife has done a lot for me. In fact, I wouldn't have had my career if it wasn't for my wife. In fact, when I got my Ph.D. degree, she was uh, part of the uh, national chapter of a national group of um, uh, university dames and um, they, when, when a spouse receives his Ph.D., uh, the uh, partner receives from that, uh, from the American Association of University Dames, receives a Ph.T. degree, which stands for Pushing Hubby Through. Oh, and, and, <laughs> I love and it. That's the, and that's exactly what she did. And so she's largely responsible 
for my successful career, and so I'm coming from the perspective that it, now it's my turn, and I'm more than happy to do what I can to um, to work with her and to make sure that uh, she's getting the best care possible. Oh, that's fantastic! I I love the the compassion and just the balance in the relationship. Um, instead mm-hmm. of you know, some would just walk away or you know, try to ignore it, um, but you really um, have that love and that, that, you know, in the core of your relationship to, you know, get you through the good times and the bad times. I think my dad did the same thing with my mom. My dad was mm-hmm. one who, I mean, we always couldn't even boil water, and here he was he, he was doing everything. He was cooking and cleaning and doing the groceries and the laundry, and we just stood back in amazement going, Wow, we didn't know he was capable of doing those things because mom right. had always done them. And right. so you, it, do, you do what you have to do, really. And but I must say, at first, I really didn't understand what was going on. Some uh, four or so years ago, maybe five years ago, and um, I was resentful and, and angry about it because I was used to her having meals ready when I would come home from work or from whatever activity I was doing and uh, and that wasn't happening anymore and uh, so I really didn't understand what was going on and that uh, I would say uh, I r- realized through learning more about it that, uh, that that she was doing the best she could under the circumstances and this was really before she actually was diagnosed and so I would say at the outset that to me, the most important thing that a caregiver needs to do is to put him or herself in a position where they fully understand the problem that they're dealing with. You really can't um, work with in a, in a uh, effective manner if you don't understand what's going on. And so, to me, on the top of the list would be education. I, I think that makes a lot of sense. Now, you had mentioned, you know, that, you know, meals weren't on time or you might have even been a little different. Can you give us some other examples of some things that you saw that had changed um, from kind of normal routine in life that, you know, when you look back now were really red flags mm-hmm. um, in terms right. of looking into this? Right. Well, <clears throat> one thing that stands out right away is... Um, my wife was always uh, very active in in entertaining and in, in doing things together, and and she always had a lot of people in her life. Life, and um, that changed dramatically. And she she just lost interest in doing those things. We used to have lots of uh, dinner parties at our house, and as a result. Uh, those people would reciprocate. So he had a very active social life, and she got to be very uh, uh, apathetic about doing these things, and she and it, it was fairly dramatic. And to me, that was one of the first things that showed up. And uh, when we started discussing that with our doctor, he said that that actually is a sign of of um, MCI of uh, mild cognitive impairment, as they say, and uh, and so that uh, that got us started on this on this journey, um, and uh, that was that was quite a quite a change, really, from what I, I was bet. used to. 
Now, Rick, um, did you find when that you started pulling out socially as well? Oh, absolutely. I know exactly what he's talking about. Um, we, too, had a very active social life. Um, but the last couple, three years, you know, anything more than two people to me is a crowd. And, and uh, we still attend family functions as hard as it is for me. But well, student always knows when it's time to go. It's uh, it's just uh, a stressful situation. You get three or four or five people talking, and, and I don't know, it's just... Uh, it, it bothers me. Right. Yeah, that's they, exactly. Uh, that's exactly what uh, I understand. Exactly what you just said, because uh, uh, Joyce was my wife. Joyce was in the same position, and um, she quieted down a lot. And she would, uh, in, in an animated conversation with a bunch of people around the dinner table, um, she would she wouldn't join. She just wouldn't join in. And um, the only time she would really say anything if someone. Said, said, spoke directly to her instead of just a, you know a general conversation where people join in out as they wish, and uh, that was that was a major change in in uh, how I was used to my wife uh, my wife's activity. Yeah, they say that um, you know I I interview a lot of people with dementia, and they say it's almost like a blender effect when everybody mm-hmm. is talking, that all the voices just get mixed up in the sentences and the words, and they can't sort them out. And right. um, even if there's somebody go directly right in front of them, all those background noises um, come into play. And um, and I don't know, Rick, is that kind of what what you hear, or is it is it different than that? I, and I'm sure it's different for everybody, too. Exactly, yeah. It is different for everyone I, that I spoke with, but... Mine is, is exactly how you described it. Um, if we're in a group, uh, if we go out to dinner and there's only four people or six or whatever, uh, the stress starts with me before we even go because I know it's, you know, decisions are tough with this disease. I don't like to make choices. And you're in a restaurant that's all about choices and, and the conversations that take place. I, I just, uh, you, you can't, with this disease, you can't filter out all of them. They just come to you all at once and, and it's, just all jumbled, and uh, it's just very difficult. I I hate being like that, but uh, it's. I tell everyone it's the disease. It's not me. I'm the same person. I just can't do the things I used to be able to do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, Sumner, were there any other kind of big changes that occurred in your relationship um, through this this process of diagnosis? Well, well, the as I, as I said a minute ago, um, first when I didn't under, really understand what was going on, um, I, uh, I I was angry, I was resentful, and uh, but as we started uh, taking advantage of, uh, we're really lucky, very lucky in the Twin Cities, uh, many opportunities to uh, learn both as couples and as as individually as as a caregiver. Uh, about the disease and how to uh, be effective in uh, in dealing with it, mm-hmm. and uh, so I just can't emphasize enough. And and I do find now as I go to a, a, a caregivers group uh, and comparing notes uh, that that's very helpful. And when someone new comes in, um, he or she are in the position that I was some four or five years ago, and um, 
Uh, and I think back at that, and I and now I, I can help those people because uh, I've learned so much about it. Uh, and uh, one of the first things we did was um, to, uh, both of my wife and I participate in a so-called memory club. There, there are various of them sponsored by the Alzheimer's Association. And um, the one we went to was at the Wilder uh, Foundation in one of their facilities uh, led by Catherine Ringham, who I would highly recommend. And um, we learned so much through uh, uh, the speakers that uh, made presentations and um, recommended books. And uh, we would split up where, as part of that session, it was a two-hour session, uh, where um, part of it, the caregivers would be uh, together and the uh, people needing care would, would be together. And other parts of it, we would be together. We would all be in a group. And uh, one thing leads to another, because through that, why uh, it led to maybe a half a dozen other things that uh, were, were involved in either together or myself individually. And um, so... Um, there are things out there that uh, people who are early on in facing this disease can do, and I would highly recommend doing those things because it certainly has helped me a lot. Well, and I think that that's, that's wonderful that you see the connection on how you can help others because, um, you know, getting it from the horse's mouth, somebody who is in the trenches with this, if it is a a care partner, or if it's even someone like Rick living with the disease. I mean, Absolutely. those are the people that really, really know um, what you know what to expect and have learned different techniques. And so, I think that that's that's fabulous. Um, right. And I think you know, I would if really I might ask Rick, if I, if I might ask Rick, uh, Rick, uh, have you participated in any of these things with your wife? Oh, absolutely, Sumner. We go to a, uh, a support group here locally uh, once a month. We've been doing that for almost two years now. And, and I can tell you, and I'm sure you're going to uh, uh, realize what goes on here, I would say at least 70 to 80% of the people that attend these are uh, in denial. And denial is mm -hmm. a big thing with this disease. Um, mm -hmm. I, I tell people all the time that it's one of the worst symptoms of the disease because the, the disease itself is going to progress whether you accept it or not. And then by accepting it, I, I tell people it doesn't mean you've given up. It just means that you understand what's going on. And, and knowledge is power. And some of these people just look at me like, man, this guy is crazy. But, but I'm telling you, it, it helps to talk about it and explain. Just like I tell I'm not a I'm not an uh, expert on this disease, but I am a patient. And I know more about this disease than any neurologist I've been to because I live with it every day. And sure. when sure. I get a chance to talk to people like you, caregivers, it just empowers me because I can I can enlighten you what I'm going through, and vice versa. Mm -hmm. You can help me so much as a caregiver. You know, it just mm -hmm. works yeah. out well. Right. Well, I'd well, like to, uh, uh, Laurie. I'd like to mention some of the things that I've done. Uh, if, if you think that would be helpful. Oh, definitely, definitely. Okay, well, I mentioned one, um, uh, the um, memory clubs that are uh, scattered around, and there, there are always uh, new sessions starting up, uh, so uh, I, I would hi highly encourage 
both caregivers and their uh, loved ones to uh, to join in one of those. And, and they, as I say, have speakers and good discussions among themselves, and you learn a lot. And it serves as a springboard to other, other things. Uh, now, the one that we went to some years ago turned out to be the first one that the Wilder uh, groups uh, started, and uh, we still do some things with those people that we've, we've met there. Uh, but um, one of the speakers was a woman from uh, the Mayo Clinic who was in charge of a, of a program called HABIT, which is an acronym for Healthy Action Benefiting Independent Thinking. And it was just a wonderful program. We didn't have to go to Rochester. They came up here, and it was held at a uh, very nice facility, assisted uh, living facility in Eden Prairie. And that went on for two weeks, five days each each week, from uh, something like 8.30 to 4.30 all day. And we did a variety of things. We had presentations. We had exercise uh, activities. We had uh, some stuff on the computer that I was very impressed with working with programs for brain fitness. In fact, I was so impressed with that that uh, my wife had never been on, never bothered with a computer before. But uh, when we got that and we finished the program, she learned how to use this program. And uh, she worked with it an hour a day for 40 days. That's the, uh, the program. And they work on various things on the computer wearing earphones. And in the first... 40 days, she improved some 52% and, uh, in her ability to recognize sounds and, and words and, uh, and answer questions about stories and, and do various tasks on the, on the computer. And, and I thought, well, that was great, and, uh, and I had to do it a second I gave, gave her like a week break, and then she was back in my office and put on the earphones and did it for another 40 days and improved another 70%. So uh, so anything that keep the brain active is very helpful. And I learned that and other things through this uh, wonderful program run by Mayos. Uh, that led to another program part, sponsored in part by the Alzheimer's Organization uh, with the Walker Art Museum called Contemporary Art Journeys. And... Um, we did that for about six months where every couple of weeks we would go to the walker and one time we would, with an uh, interpreter, uh, visit an exhibit and, and talk about some of the hangings. And the alternate time we would be in their studio making things, art-type things, and uh, that, that was a lot of fun. Um, there's, of course, this annual meeting, Meeting of the Minds, which is held every year at uh, River Center, which has all kinds of things. And then there are, um, there are uh, things out there that are very helpful in terms of uh, proper meds, and so you need um, you know, good, um, a, a good physician who knows what's going on in this field to help you with meds and and. Uh, uh, there are uh, caregiver groups. We go, uh, I go to one now, uh, also at the Wilder, 
and uh, we compare notes with other caregivers. So, so, so there are a whole variety of things like this. And uh, in, in this coming Saturday, uh, there's a professor at the university who runs an all-day conference called uh, Caring for uh, People with Memory Loss. And uh, they have expert speakers. They provide breakfast and lunch, and uh, it's a great program. I've done that for three or four years now. It used to be twice a year. Now, it's, in fact, it's just once a year, usually in June. And as I say, this one is coming up just this coming Saturday. So these are all um, great things. So as I say, I put education at the top of the list. And uh, the other two things, I, I, I would categorize uh, effective caregiving in, with three words. The first is education, and that's what I've been talking about. The second is advocacy, and, to, and that, that just follows. You can't be an effective advocate if you don't know what you're dealing with. And uh, and thirdly, it requires lots and lots of patience. So you have to keep remembering that if, if your loved one says something for the hundredth time, as far as he or she is concerned, it's the very first. And you have to respond as if it's the first, not the hundredth. And that, 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 that things of that sort are really important, it seems to me. Oh, definitely. Those are those are all great, great tips. Rick, do you have anything you want to add um, coming from the other side of, of being someone who has a spouse who is helping them through this process? Well, once again, he's uh, absolutely right. I, I keep my uh, brain active the best I can uh, through memory people. I... Uh, I'm on there. It's it's my job now, per se. Um, I get on there usually first thing in the morning, and then I check it uh, um, several times a day. And uh, it it the people that post on there, you know, the caregivers and patients alike, it's, it's uh, it keeps my brain. I I have trouble reading some of the posts now if they're if they're longer, but uh, I, I read the answers and uh, I try to piece together what's going on. And Phil, you know, help me when she gets home, but. Uh, you need to keep uh, active as, as long as you can and, and try to keep your brain active, just just like he said. Mm-hmm. Well, that, that makes a lot of, a lot of sense. Um, patience is definitely a virtue, and, I, again, I think putting yourself in their shoes is, is very important. It looks like we've got a caller with a question, so let me go ahead and pull them in. Hello, we've got a caller from a 253 number. How can we help you? Yes, hi, Lori. It's Leanne. Oh, hi, Leanne. How are you? Good, good, good. Did you have a comment or question? Well, I did have a comment. I just wanted to um, just comment talking about the, you know, being able to listen to your loved one. Um, We're walking this journey with my mother-in-law, and um, she was diagnosed about two years ago, um, and that was early on, you know, one of the, the biggest things was the repetitiveness, her asking the questions. And now it's not so much she's asking questions anymore because she's progressing in it, but she's gotten to where it's more um, making making comments over and over or there is some questions. And, and I read something, it just popped to my mind, and I just wanted to call, but I read something recently that really made a difference for me and even my daughter who spends a lot of time with her um, is when we're talking to her, when she's asking the same question, um, we, you know, generally when someone asks you a question, you just kind of, 
elaborate, you know, make sure that they understand what you're saying. And that's not necessarily what they need. And it really hit me that, you know, when, when your loved one is asking a question, that you can just respond in a, um, a real simple one- or two-word answer, but lovingly, and maybe touch them on their arm or touch them, you know, their hand or whatever, and make a connection that way. I, and it just it, and it, it has helped a lot. I just wanted to throw it out there. It's helped a lot with my mom-in-law and how we deal with her, you know. And I think the, a, a big thing for her is she still knows that she's losing that information she just got. She realizes it's gone, and so she'll ask it again. But what I think many times she really wants is that connection to us because it makes her feel very out there, I think, when she can't grasp it and she can't stay in the conversation. So I just I just wanted to share that. So. I, I think that's good advice. I think that, that connection, the eye contact, the touch, um, the soft, gentle voice, um, just of reassurance that you're still with us, you still matter. And, and uh, you know, I guess I have found, too, that, you know, sometimes they can't respond to a conversation, but they still can be part of a conversation. Yes, right. um, absolutely. And you know, right, thank, we have thank you to for be, that. That that's very good. You know, I appreciate those, be, those comments. Yeah, we have to be aware of our our nonverbals and how we um, make someone feel. And and to me, one of the things that stands out the most as an example of this is even going to the doctor. A lot of times, the doctor will talk directly to the caregiver or the care partner versus the person with the disease. Um, right. And that's got to change. You know. Right. They've got As a matter of fact, on, on that on that point, Laurie, uh, mm-hmm. we were recently asked about uh, um, what my wife thinks about the uh, the particular neurologist that she goes to, mm-hmm. and uh, I, so I asked her that, and she said, "Well, what I like about him is he talks to me." Yeah. And uh, and that, that, I thought that was just great because that's true. That that's what he does, and uh, it helps a lot. What does? I mean, you want to be part of your life. <laughs> you, know, you don't want to be sidestepped, and uh, none of us do. And so I think taking that to heart is really important. And, and in order to do that, I think a lot of times we just need to slow down, you know, because I don't think people do it intentionally. It's just we live in such a fast-paced world where we're trying to push through so many things and get the task done, the task, um, sometimes outweighs the connection um, in our in our game plan or or how we how we view winning at this and I, and I know I was guilty of that you know I because it made me feel more in control to get more tasks done um, to be able to check it off and to to again just make me feel more in control like I was making a difference and. Um, really, all my mom wanted was a conversation, and not that we didn't have that. Don't get me wrong, because we've we've always been very, very um, close. But looking back, I would have done things very differently than how I um, how I started out, and I, I've definitely changed over time. Um, but it's it's been a process. It's you know it's that trial and error of learning and finding out what really is important once you come to that realization that you can't control it. I, yes. I think that's what was the shift for me. 
Um, do you remember a, a certain time, Sumner, where there was just kind of a shift with you in terms of how you looked at the disease and how you, um, and then how that yeah, affected I, I, the relationship? Y- yes. Um, <clears throat> it, it came when when I'd learned enough about it so that I I had a pretty good sense of where she was coming from, and uh, and, and since then. Since then, I've um, we, we, uh, every so often someone asks me how has our relationship changed uh, with the advent and continuation of this disease, and my answer is it's brought us closer. And uh, my wife goes to bed several hours earlier than I do, and uh, I help her with her uh, bedtime things and. Uh, but there isn't a night that she doesn't look at me and gives me a kiss and says, I love you. And uh, that's that's new because it, that, it, wasn't, it wasn't as constant and, and uh, as uh, regular as it is now. And that, that just warms my heart. And I say to myself, well, I think I'm doing okay uh, because she's responding in a very positive way. Oh, that's that's so nice. And we don't tell each other um, in our lives how important they are. And I think, mm-hmm. again, I think that's one of the gifts this disease can give us, to be in the moment and to really appreciate what it is we have and right. and how precious that is, even though there may be some changes, you know, along mm-hmm. the way. It's still the core of the relationship that, you know, we should not let go of. And that is one of the things that I think people lose in this disease, especially in the beginning. They they lose the core of who they were together um, because they're so busy caring and doing these tasks. And that really isn't um, what I have found so important to the person that we're caring for. Granted, certain things need to get done, but they still want that interaction. You know, they want to talk, they want to touch, they they want to laugh, they you know they want what they what you used to have, what brought you together in the first place. And yeah. and I think the care partner is searching for that too, but um, many times feels that um, there's too many other things they can't really focus on that, or the fun is gone and. Um, it's looked at so seriously. And have you found that um, a sense of humor helps with this disease? I don't know. Oh, if, sure. Um, yeah. And, and I think a lot of times people think that, you know, a sense of humor can be disrespectful when someone is ill. And mm-hmm. um, But it's not, it's, not a, it's not about disrespect. It's about, you know, getting back to... Again, um, that having that good, having that fun, that that energy, that you know, yeah. that's what I hear most people wanting. Um, is mm-hmm. you know, I just want to laugh. I want things to be normal. How about you, Rick? You, um, I know you have talked about putting a fry pan in the freezer just to you know <laughs> trick Phyllis June and just to get a chuckle when times are are tough <laughs> in your house. So it sounds like you use a, a sense of humor. Um, in your relationship and appreciate that? Well, I I think it's absolutely essential. Um, In my career, I was in law enforcement EMS for over 24 years, and I've seen some awful, horrific things. 
And even then, you had to have a humor about it. It would just drive you crazy. Now, with this disease, um, as bad as it is, I try every day to find humor in some part of it. I mean, it's not funny that I have this disease by any means or anybody else. It's not funny that the caregiver has to take care of you. But you have, it it will just drive you crazy if you let it. And, uh, I mean, I forget things constantly, and I know it just drives Phyllis June crazy. But she understands. It's the disease, and, and I can't help it. And when you talked about repetitiveness, that goes on constantly. And then I wanted to touch on something about uh, Phyllis and I have been each other's partner for 34 years, and she knows exactly what goes on in my mind. That helps me out immensely. But during the day go by that uh, I tell her that I love her before we go to bed. If we talk on the phone, that's the last thing we say to each other. Uh, when she goes somewhere, I go somewhere, we always... Uh, I think it's very important to share your feelings with, uh, I mean, even if you don't have this disease, human beings like to be told that they're cared for, and uh, I've always done that. And, and the day that uh, that I no longer tell her that, then she'll know that something is drastically wrong. I'm, I'm sure of that. Yeah, right. and right. and it is nice when you're that close where you can almost read each other's minds and thoughts or you know, just uh, take a peek into their eyes and know, like like you had said, I can't remember if we were on the air or if it was our off-air conversation when, you know, you're in a large group and, and Phyllis June just knows it's time to go. You know, you don't have to say anything. Right. She can just see it in you, and it's okay, and, um, you know, she just wants to get you in a in a safe, comfortable, comfortable place. And, um, Sumner, do you see that, too, where you just sometimes will get a look, um, you know, from your from your wife, or you can maybe see she's agitated where she doesn't have to say anything, but you just know it's time to change things up a little bit in terms of sure. the atmosphere. Sure, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So uh, yeah, I think a lot... Mm-hmm. We're basically attached at the hip. <laughs> so, uh-huh. And so we, we know each other pretty well. And uh, we we can even now Joyce can read me when I, when she feels when she thinks that I'm disturbed about something and uh, uh, and and so you know she she knows she knows the signs and uh, we've been doing some other things uh, we we started walking together and uh, that's helped Joyce a lot she uses a walker her balance isn't too good. And um, but, but the, the walker has a seat on it, so we each day we walk a bit. And if she's t- tired, she stops and just sits down on the thing for a minute or two, and then we continue. And each day we're increasing that, and I find that that's helped her stamina a lot. And uh, she gets up from the couch much more easily now than she had just a few, few weeks ago, and uh, so so. So all these little things, you, one can see progress, and uh, that's that's what's great. Well, I love your I love your insight, um, Sumner, because you you know you're still doing things that you used to do. You're just doing them a little bit different, and you're making adjustments, mm-hmm. and you're seeing you're looking for the positive. And so when you look for the positive, you can find it. But when we Absolutely. don't look for it, we can't find it. Right. And that's just such a mind shift um, that I highly encourage people to really 
pay attention to, you know, if they're just seeing sadness or if they're just seeing things that scare them, you know, sit back yeah. and go, okay, what am I looking for? What am I looking for? Because the joy is, is there. It hasn't left. You just have, you're just enabled to see it when you're in that mindset. Um, I, and I'm a firm, firm believer in that. And, um, you know, that's a, a big, big thing that I, I try to teach people. And, um, and I think it's so wonderful how you've, how you've embraced that. That's very, very neat. Um, now, have you developed some strategies to help communicate, you know, over the years that have helped you and Joyce um, now with the dementia? Um, I'm not sure I would call them strategies. Uh, I, I, I've, uh, we, we, do, we still do a lot of things. We go out to eat a lot. Uh, we go to... Lots of theater and concerts, and uh, Joyce enjoys all, all of that. And um, sometimes, uh, if she, if we, you know, I try to park as close as I can, and but sometimes there's some distance, and I always have a a walker and a wheelchair in my trunk. And um, so, um, so I'm, I'm I'm always I'm always thinking about. What, what the need is going to be in any given situation. Uh, as far as communication, uh, yeah, Joyce has quieted down a lot, but uh, we still, um, we and, and I've added some other things. Um, I feel she needs more socialization than just what I can provide, and so I've, uh, I have a, a small group of people who I know Joyce is, enjoys and is very comfortable with, and individually they come over, at least um, different ones, at least once a week, and spends a, will spend an afternoon uh, with Joyce. So yesterday we had someone and she she and Joyce played Scrabble together for a couple of hours, and then they went out and took a walk and. Uh, so she's she's interacting with it with other people on a on a one to one basis, and uh, I've added that to to the program so to speak, and uh, uh, and and all all those little things. I'm just constantly thinking about ways to enrich both of our lives. Well, that's wonderful. That's or or I have a question for Sumner, if I could. Mm-hmm. Sure, go ahead. I was wondering, I heard you say that you guys uh, enjoy concerts and theaters and going out to eat. Do you notice um, a difference in your wife when she is out like that, a, a uh, an agitation or frustration or anything like that? I, I notice uh, we went to concerts for years, and there's just absolutely no way that I can do that now. Um, I can't even attend the grandkids' basketball games because they're inside and there's too many people. But if it's a bowl game and it's outside, I can... I can get through that, but as far as uh, going out to eat and, and concerts and things, I wish I could do that, but I, I just yeah. it's just too stressful. I'm, I'm glad that you guys still can, though. Right, you're right. The, uh, what you said earlier is uh, exactly what I've experienced as far as going out to eat. Joyce can no longer make a decision as to what she wants, and I know what she likes, and so I, I, I just now just order for her, and she's very comfortable with that. And uh, but for a while, I was trying to get her to make up her mind and 
And that was the wrong approach because she just was wasn't able to do that. Right. And so, exactly. so 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 when these come up, I just try to figure out a way to address them, and uh, and so I have to constantly be tuned into where she's coming from, not where I'm coming from. And so, so that's that solved that pro- problem. She uh, and I know there are certain restaurants. Uh, one of the kinds of food that we both love, it sort of as our comfort food, is Chinese. And we have a favorite Chinese place n- nearby where we live. And when we go in there, um, a woman owns it and runs it, and she has um, a couple of kids and her littlest one, Annie. She now says hi, Grandma and Grandpa, which <laughs> is sort of sort of cute. And then one day she asked, because her her mother prompted her to do that. She said, "Oh, say hello to Grandma and Grandpa." And so one day Annie said to her mom, uh, "Why do I have three grandmas and grandpas?" <laughs> yeah, right. So, uh, uh, so so that that was one thing as far as uh, concerts and plays. She um, uh, she enjoys them, but she's not as enthusiastic, especially of plays. She's not as enthusiastic as she used to be, and she's more discerning. That is, she she's more likely to to not be enthusiastic about a play, even though she should be. But uh, uh, but but you know, she she doesn't have as much of that as she used to. But once again, she. She likes to go, and she enjoys it. And uh, so, so we, I just add as many activities as I can. We we do subscribe to a concert series at Orchestra Hall, and to the Guthrie, and to the Jungle Theater. And uh, I even take her to a ball game from time to time. And uh, even though she's not, the, she never has been into sports that much. But that's great because they have tremendous um, facilities for people in a wheelchair. So, I, so when we go there, because there's a lot of walking involved, and she would have a hard time with that. But I use the wheelchair, and we have great seating because of that, because they have wonderful wheelchair access and great seats at, at the new ballpark. Wonderful. Now, yeah. can you uh, share with us maybe some of the challenges that you've had that you've really struggled with and and maybe how you've overcome those um, or learned to deal with them? Sure, sure. Well, it was, uh, it, it's interesting how, how you never know what's going to come up next. And uh, uh, maybe a year or so ago, or close to it, she, she, she lost her appetite and she stopped eating. And I would be making the same things for breakfast and for lunch and for dinner. And uh, she would say, I don't want this. And and uh, it's not that she didn't like it, but she just didn't have any appetite for it. And she, over that period, she lost about 30 pounds. And I was really concerned because she was down to to what she weighed, in fact, a little bit less than what she weighed when we got married, which was like 110 pounds. So she was just much too thin for for what she should be, and so I was um, again a- advocacy here is really important to me. Part of the advocacy is to not just accept medications without knowing what the side effects are. And uh, I was going through her meds. I found that for one of the side effects. Now again, I, I'll 
preface this by saying everyone is different. And so what works for her doesn't work, won't work for the next person. But I found that a side effect for Aricept was loss of appetite and loss of weight. So we talked to our doctor about that. And I said, you know, I'm really concerned she's lost this weight. <clears throat> and uh, he agreed that we should uh, take her off of it. And she had been on it for three or more years. And they say after that amount of time, it probably isn't very helpful anyways. And, um, and after taking her off of that, the very next day, and, and in addition to the loss of appetite, she developed a tremor in her right hand. And after taking her off of that, which took about a week to wean her off, she just, not once has she, since then, has she said, I don't want this. And she eats fine. She's gained back about 10 or 11 pounds already. And uh, it was like a miracle. I mean, it just completely reversed that really deleterious side effect. And uh, she's been doing fine without it ever since. So, um, so again, um, you know, there was a problem there, and I addressed it. And luckily, it, uh, the, uh, her physician agreed, and uh, it worked out just beautifully. Well, and I so think important too that you you know talked with the physician um you didn't yeah. just try things because i know sometimes people just try things on their own and you know personally mm-hmm. i would not recommend that um i think yes, it's I important um, to, right. to work together and that's got to be a really scary thing when someone stops eating i mean yeah. i can't even imagine what went through your head um right. I, I know mine would probably go right away to this is the beginning of the end if someone stopped yeah, right. eating eating and, right. you know, going down that rabbit hole, and instead of going down the rabbit hole, you said, hey, you know, wait, let's, right. let's see what this really is about. Let's get educated. Right. So, so again, education and advocacy go together here. And another thing is I've learned a fair amount about the benefits of coconut oil. It's actually medium-chained um triglycerides, and coconut mm-hmm. oil is one of the best ones, and uh, I've been using that a lot in cooking and uh, in various ways, and uh, there's this uh, relatively new book out that talks about uh, by a, a physician whose husband has Alzheimer's, who also is a physician. Uh, it's called Alzheimer's Disease, What If There Was a Cure, and she talks about the subtitle is the story of ketones, and these are medium chain triglycerides, and uh, and I think uh, uh, there are recipes in there for for simple ways of uh, incorporating that because it looks like both at below seventy six degrees, it's a solid. It looks like a jar of Crisco. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, that sounds appetizing. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> but you have to be. Uh, a little bit uh, ingenious to uh, use your ingenuity to uh, figure out ways of using it, and uh, but I think I think that has helped Joyce. You know, more. I and have people, heard more people, people talking that, about the coconut oil lately, and at yeah, first I kind of yeah. I was skeptical. I have to admit, but the people that I'm hearing um, it, that it's really making a, they feel it's really making a difference, and yeah, have really done some research. I, Right, I've had three or four friends 
who independently made the comment that Joyce seems much more alert. Mm-hmm. And uh, and that that's great. Now, whether it's the coconut oil or, what, or whatever, but uh, I'll take it however way I get it. You know. Yep. Yep. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, Lori. Uh huh. I, w- I wanted to uh, interject here. It's just funny we're talking about this because the past I, I can't really say, but let's say a couple months. Um, I've noticed, and of course, Phyllis June has too. Uh, not really my loss of appetite, but I just can't remember to eat. It's the strangest thing. Um, I've never had a problem eating, but let's see. I don't know what it's about noon now. Of course, I haven't ate anything yet, but I'm thinking about it. And and but I think it's just the breakdown of my brain or something because it could be I would go hours or even a day without eating, and Phyllis like, "Did you eat today?" And I'm like, "No." And I'm getting concerned about that because the, you know, the fluctuation in my sugar level and, and things like that. But it, it's just, it's just strange that a person, uh, like like Sumner said, everybody's different. But I've noticed I'm having trouble now remembering to uh, to eat, and I just it's the strangest thing. And I never really thought about that, but it's happening now. So I don't know what that's going to turn into. Right. Well, and like you said about your blood sugar levels, I mean, that can trigger right. so many different things. It's not just the weight loss, but it's, I mean, same with fluids. You know, people need to have, you know, the liquids in their body, and a lot of times people don't want to drink because then they have to go to the bathroom, and it's a vicious cycle. But, you, you know, in order, you know, for your chemistry to be balanced, we, we need the nutrition and we need the fluids. You know, that's our, our body you know, works on that on that system and there's no getting around that. <laughs> so and and um Sumner, you could probably talk more on that just because of your, your chemistry background and and things, but just the importance of of that is is critical and people have to be yeah. aware of those things. Right, right. And uh yeah, it, it, this is um I think this this book uh, uh, the physician is Mary Newport and uh, she talks about the uh, effects of her with her husband using uh coconut oil and uh she compares over a period of a month his ability to draw a clock uh, and uh the first time he, he just can't even make out what it is and the second time it looks like a very respectable clock mm-hmm. and uh, so that that uh, you know, is an amazing progress, really. And, you know, uh, Sumner, I know who you're speaking about. She's on uh, Memory People. She's one of our members. And uh, good. the problem we had or that I was discussing with her is that we have so many members on uh, that are patients, and uh, these people are at the end of the rope, and they will, even the caregivers will absolutely try anything. Here's a perfect example that hardly anybody believes, but one time we had a member, a, a, a caregiver that was injecting her husband with water because she had heard that that would help, and I just about flipped out. And yeah. I tell everybody on memory people, you know, if you think coconut oil helps, then that's great. You know, it's just like you said, it doesn't matter. You'll take anything you can get, but until it's, you know, <laughs> come out and say scientifically, I mean, it's not a cure, that's for sure, 
But still, oh, okay. if it helps, then then by all means, you know, I would never right. say I wouldn't use that. But it's uh, right. uh, I just see people and memory people that they're, you know, this one lady, like I said, she was ejecting her husband with water, and I just it's it's it's, it's strange that the levels of of uh, that people will go to to try to uh, help their loved one. Yes, yes, I I agree. No, you have to uh, you have to have to do it in a in a knowledgeable way for sure. Right, uh, right. Uh, yeah. I I want to ask you, Rick, about uh, so if I go on my Facebook page, do I just put in memory people uh, on the search line and and that would yeah. bring it up? Uh, or? You just go to uh, your Facebook account, and then on the uh, search bar mem- in uh, Facebook, just type in memory people, and then a page will come up, and there will be a little thing there that says click to join, ask to join, or something like that. And uh, that's all there is to it, and uh, we'll certainly get you on there. It's a it's a wealth of information, and it's certainly not because of me. It's, it's everybody that's on there. Uh, like I said, we have caregivers and advocates, family members, and we have doctors and attorneys and neurologists, and, and it's just all over the world. It's been a fantastic journey with it. It certainly has, and, and it's worked out so well. It's I, I tried other message boards on other uh, websites, but it wasn't instantaneous. But with memory people, if you get on there and you have a question or if you have a situation you want to talk about, um, somebody's there to listen and answer and support you immediately. Um, it's a closed site, so nobody can see what you post on there unless you are a member. So that's very important for the uh, privacy part of it. So mm-hmm. Lori knows a lot about it, and it's, it's just been fantastic. Yeah, it, it helps a lot of people. Plus you have all your little subgroups, too. So there's a prayer chain and a recipe swap, and they play games, and um, you know, so there's support, there's support, there's a resource um, area. There's I don't even know craft, how many subgroups you have. There's so craft, many. Uh, there's a craft one and, and gardening. It's just a it's a wealth of. Uh, they have a page that you just uh, people post their favorite videos, music, and stuff like that. It's uh, it's, it's just a, a good thing. Is what it is. Very yeah. proud of it. Well, I'll check it's, it out, Rick. Thank you for that. Well, well sure. Yeah. It really um, has developed into, um, a, you know, the various personalities of the people that participate, which is really neat, and um, and that's why I think all the subgroups have have emerged, you know, because it, it really is getting people to live with the disease, not as the disease, and um, you know, the the person comes first, and and the disease is is you know just part of the package, and so. Um, there's just really honest conversations of of how to maneuver through it, you know, and how to cope, um, you know, with it um, from those that are that those that are living with it. Um, mm-hmm. It's not kind of that guessing machine, <laughs> you know, that we think this and we think that, but it's it's people who who are living and breathing. Um, but then also, Lori, they absolutely just like Sumner said. We tell people all the time, you know, this disease is different with everyone. What is good for me may not be good for someone else, and and we stress that a lot. And the one thing we don't allow to talk about is, like, medications. We don't want anybody being on there about good. talking about, well, you need to be on this medication or that medication because that's for right. your doctor to do, and, and we explain that. Right. Um, right. 
Now, there's nothing wrong with saying, you know, my wife's on Aricept and it seems to be helping. That's fine, but we don't want somebody on there saying everybody needs to be on Aricept because that's not, yeah, our, right. that's right. not our child to do that. Absolutely. It's probably okay. illegal, too. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Uh-huh. Now, um, Sumner, at this point, you know, where where do you feel you're at with the disease? And, you know, have you made plans for the future? Have Have you and Joyce kind of talked about that or... Yeah, well, um, yeah, Joyce is probably in the early middle stages of Alzheimer's, mm-hmm. um, but I, but she hasn't changed very much in a long time. If if anything, she's improved um, both in terms of how um, she and her doctor have managed uh, medications, and my own doing about. Uh, Getting her involved with other people, and and um, she, uh, I make sure she, she goes to a monthly book club. I make sure that she has the books in a timely way, and and so she reads and uh, does crossword puzzles every day. And uh, she's not as good with them as she used to be, but she still is interested in doing them. So um, I'm I'm hopeful. That uh, I'm very positive about it. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm simply a positive person, and um, but at the same time, um, I take care of her finances, and uh, I made, made sure my, my one of my sons is a uh, an attorney, and he'll uh, um, if I die before Joyce, uh, he'll be her trustee and take care of, of uh, the financial matters. And um, we have both an estate planner and a, uh, a person who, um, who I have great confidence in who also deals with uh, financial recommendations. Um, so um, I think I have pretty much everything in place. We both have trusts. I'm her trustee. She used to be mine, but now it will be my son who's my trustee because she, she just can't handle her financial affairs. I even um, you know her supplemental health insurance is deducted from her Social Security. And uh, so I would call to find out if they got this or that or the other thing. And they would say, well, I have to talk to your wife. Mm-hmm. So. So to, to confirm who she is, they would ask her a bunch of questions, mm-hmm. and I would I would prompt her and say, you know, <laughs> this is your phone number, this is your address, and so on. And they would say, you can't prompt her; <laughs> she has mm-hmm. to do it herself. I said, well, as a matter of fact, <laughs> so I was going round and round with this, and so finally they said, well, the only way you can get that information yourself is to Go to your local Social Security office and make a change so that she has to sta- you have to establish that she's no longer able to conduct her own financial affairs. So I did all that, and now uh, and I had to sort of agree that uh, you know because there, apparently there are people who abuse that who you know the funds not her her Social Security check goes to me. Mm-hmm. So I had to so so now. Every year I have to do an accounting to show that 
I haven't used her money. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. so uh, I said, look, Joyce has been using my money for 60 years. Now it's my turn. I'm <laughs> 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 no, only kidding. Uh, but anyways, uh, you know, I, 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 I take care of all that stuff. And, uh, um, and... And the way things are going now, uh, I, I, as I say, I don't see any changes, and I'm not, and I, 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 I'm sure changes will will happen, but um, it may be a long time before that happens, and that's mm-hmm. what I hope. Good, good. Yeah. Now, so, you know, caregiving can really um, be difficult and stressful. What what have you found to take care of yourself, kind of during this caregiving journey? Right. Well, in many ways, I'm very fortunate because, as I say, I, uh, I, 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 Joyce is alone when I have my activities. Uh, but I make sure that she's safe at home. And one thing I found, I started with one of those uh, first alert type systems that's connected to the telephone. Mm-hmm. And that's fine, except uh, they say that they'll hear her if she falls and needs help from any room in the house. Well, that's simply not true. And that is, if she's in the bedroom or in the kitchen, if she should fall, they won't hear her. And so if they don't hear her, they assume, they just assume that she's passed out or something, and they immediately call 911. Mm-hmm. And they ha- and and I have a lockbox on the door with a combination, and they they also have a combination for our garage, so they have two ways of getting into the house without breaking the door down. Um, but that's not what she needs because she may um, just need the neighbor to come over for something, or she mm-hmm. may want to call me. And so I've. I've gone through two of these things and returned them because they both have the same problem. But I found something that's just great. It's a thing called Five Staff Urgent Response. And she whizzes around her neck. It has nothing to do with the telephone. She pushes a button because we, we, I have to do it every week just to be used to it. Mm-hmm. And um, it's a GPS thing, and you can talk right into it. And uh, so they'll hear her because it's a little speaker. And uh, she can hear them because it comes out of the speaker. And uh, they ask her what she needs. And she says, nothing, I'm just uh, testing it. And they say, well, would you like us to call your husband? And so I ask her to have him do that. I said, call me on my cell. And uh, we talk a little bit and establish that everything is fine. And and uh, so she can reach me immediately, no matter where I am. And I'm really more than 15 or 20 minutes away. And if she needs help, I can then tell them to call our neighbor, depending on what it is. Or if she really needs, uh, if she's hurt herself, I, she, they can call 911 and tell them how to get into the house. So um, that's great. And even if we go, sometimes when we go out walking, I'll take her with me. Because if something happens, I want to be able to just push that button. And, uh, and they know exactly where she is. Because we, 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 uh, we live in Roseville, and we were in Minneapolis at some place, and I pushed the button. I had her push the button. And they knew exactly where we were. 
So it's great if people want it. I know there's some people that just leave the house and they get lost, and they can just. The only thing is they have to be able to push the button and target to the thing. So it depends on on what stage you're in and whether you can do that. So it's a very to me it's it's just a perfect safety device again specifically for for my wife. Yeah, uh, there's there's one called Hero that um, you actually strap around your chest, and that um, actually monitors your blood pressure and your heart rate and your body temperature. Mm-hmm. And if somebody falls, it knows that they fell, mm-hmm. and it will click. And it has the GPS in it too. That's that's pretty neat. So there's there's lots of yeah. um, interesting yeah. things that that are out there, and so right. you know. Scope out and find out what it is that you need to feel safe um, and comfortable because that's different for all of us. And and I like that you're testing it, you know. I think that that's important. My folks used to have the um, Lifeline one, and they would routinely um, call them. And my dad would just about fall out of his chair because his voice would come screaming through the speaker. (laughs) Yeah, right. You know, right. he, would, he he would forget that they had it, and um, yeah. it would just scare the bejeebies out of them. You know, right? <laughs> so right. That's not that's right. not a good thing. Right. We hear that, but again, if uh, if you're too far away from where that thing is hooked up, mm-hmm. uh, you have to really be able to talk loudly, or they won't hear you. Yeah. And my wife tends to be very soft-spoken, anyways. So, but for myself, uh, I uh, I I do a number of things in the way of volunteering. I, I I, can, I still do my science at the at the science museum where I volunteer, and uh, when I'm there, they have a, a cell lab, and kids come in and they put on lab coats and gloves and goggles, and they do neat experiments. They, for example, they extract DNA from wheat germ, mm-hmm. and there are other people in there, and, the, and all of us volunteers make sure that everyone has a, a a successful experiment. But I like to go beyond that because I'm so comfortable with biology, that um, I use those experiments as a springboard to talk about biological principles. And if the parents are there, they learn as much as the kids do, and I know from the comments they make that they really uh, appreciate it and enjoy it, and I do too, because instead of teaching college students, I'm teaching elementary school students, which I enjoy just as much, if not more. <laughs> so, so, uh, so that's one thing I do. I serve on a, uh, on a couple of advisory boards, and I'm very active in the synagogue. And so, um, you know, all those things continue to enrich my life. Well, that's good. And... Um so at this point, you don't, I mean, you're comfortable with her being home alone, and you don't, and so that's that's huge um, yep. in and of itself right there. That's just a, right. a really big, big thing. Have you thought as things change how you're going to still kind of meet your needs and and be able to maintain your, you know, health and things um, to be able to okay. get out? Have you Have you given any thought to that? Yep, I, I am not really interested in institutional living. Um, I I want to, I want my wife to be at home. I mm-hmm. know she loves the place, and um, so uh, when the need comes, I'll have home care. Okay, okay. 
Wonderful. Again, everyone is different. It depends on your financial situation and so on. But uh, if I can manage that, that's what I'm going to do. In the meantime, we don't need it. Good. Good. uh, Yeah. We'll address it. Yeah. One thing that I would, um, that I always recommend to people in terms of that is sometimes it's not a bad idea to start something like that before it's needed just so that the rapport is built up with the person you're caring for and it's Mm -hmm. not as fearful for them um, later Mm -hmm. on. Um, as things go. But again, a lot of it will depend on if you're looking at at leaving with that person or um, if you're going to be there when when that person is there. Um, You you know, everybody knows the person they're caring for best, but that's something to kind of keep in um, the consideration mode there of what's going to be easiest for them to to deal with Mm -hmm. um, when Mm -hmm. that that time comes. and now, a lot of caregivers are unaware of a lot of the resources available for them. Can you just highlight real quickly some of your favorite resources? Yes. Okay, so for Memory Club, I would highly recommend uh, the group that uh, Catherine um, Ringham mm-hmm. uh, facilitates at the Wilder. They have a whole building now that's it's on the... Uh, basically, the corner. Of, it's in St. Paul, on the Marshall Marshall Street, and um, d- just a little bit in from Dale Street, a little bit mm-hmm. west of Dale Street. Uh, and she, every few uh, months, they start a new one. So I'd highly recommend that. I would highly recommend uh, the Habit Program, as I mentioned, that's run by Mayo. A uh, very intensive program. You learn a lot. And the person to contact the mail, her name is Angela Lundy. Okay. And, and That's great. Uh, and, the, oh, I'm go sorry. Ahead. Go ahead. Okay. Then um, at the university, these all-day conferences are always on a Saturday, usually the first Saturday in June. It's organized by... Uh, Professor's name is Dr. Joseph Gogler, G A U G L E R. Yeah, and his his com he's in fact he's got a conference coming up, I think June second. I've got it on the That's blog. Right. He does. Um, he does. June second. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he does. He does a great job with his conferences. So. Yeah, um, and, yes. and a lot of the, this information, too, you know, is specific to Minnesota, but if people go to the Alzheimer's Association, mm-hmm. um, they're right. hooked up with the Habit Program and, you know, some of the yes. mentorship programs and, and things. Right, and um, the memory clubs, they, they, mm-hmm. uh, they're part of that, for sure, right? Um, another program um, that's offered from time to time is at the Walker Art Museum called Contemporary Art Journeys. Well, those are neat. Right. Those are very neat. Um, you just uh, you contact them through their education program, the programs. Um, there's a, uh, for caregivers specifically, there are some caregiver groups, also in partly sponsored by uh, Alzheimer's Association. Um, 
and, and uh, Alzheimer's, AOZ.org forward slash Min, what is it, Min, Min, Mindac or something? Minnesota, Dakota. Yeah. Anyway, oh, Minnesota, um, North Dakota. Went okay. Yeah, right. Uh, it's a local uh, group of Alzheimer's, and they they have a wealth of information. Okay, great. Um, and um, let's see if there's anything else. They have a a, a yearly meeting uh, called Meeting of the Minds that the Alzheimer's Organization puts on, which is a wealth of information. It, it, it just had this, uh, I think it was in early May. Um, I think that uh, pretty well covers the main ones. Okay, great. Uh, a couple of books I would recommend, a book by fairly recent by Pauline Boss, Loving Someone Who Has Dementia. Mm-hmm. Excellent book. Uh, this book on uh, the, the Mary Newport book, uh, talking about these uh, medium-chained Glycerides, or ketones, as they call them. Uh, I recommend that one. A book that's really very useful as a as a reference book is uh, the Thirty Six Hour Day. And there there are many others, but those are three that come to mind that were, have been helpful to me. Yeah, and I, I like how you said for the Thirty Six Hour Day that it's a reference book because for some people they read it yeah. and they think everything no. in there is going to happen and they just get yeah. overwhelmed. Right. Um, no, no. And so if it really you run into is a nice. Problem, to, yeah, if you to run be into able a specific to. Problem, you look in the index, and and in all likelihood there will be something there about it. Okay. Uh, the the, oh, other, the, uh, mm-hmm. the caregiver group that I would highly recommend, again, is facilitated by Catherine Ringham, and um, it meets the second Thursday of every month. And it's just caregivers, and um, it's very helpful, very helpful Good. to just exchange uh, ideas and so on, help one another. And I'm going to check on memory people. If Rick is still there. Yes, I am. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we'll be out. we'll be uh, glad to have you. Uh, you'll you'll be able to uh, enlighten us all. I mean, that's that's what it's all about: uh, caregivers mm-hmm. and patients talking with each other and and sharing mm-hmm. their journey. Mm-hmm. Right. So, so well, I wish you, Rick, uh, 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 lots of uh, good luck in your journey, and hope things go well for you. Thank you. Uh, I mean, I would when you join. I'm gonna. I want to private message you and get your address because I'd be more than happy to send you a copy of my book that I just released, and, and uh, I'd be happy right. to do that. Very good. Thank you. Great. And Laurie, is there anything else before we close here? Yeah, I wanted to just ask um, briefly. What was the most surprising positive thing that has come to you out of this disease? Well, I think first um, and I have always been close, but not like we're close now. And uh, I just love to uh, sit close to her. I love to touch her and um, and just connect with her. And I just feel very positive about how things are going. And I feel good about myself that I'm doing a good job. I think I am. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if you don't mind my patting myself on the back. <laughs> uh-huh. 
Well, no, I uh, I think you should have a hat on the back. I com- compared to uh, to how it started, we've come a long way, and uh, I feel good about uh, what I've learned, and I feel that I can help others, and I do that. Uh, I'm, I've been asked to be on panels, uh, and I, I enjoy doing that because I think I have some things to say that uh, that will be helpful. Yeah. Oh, you, and it's you a definitely. Part of, it's have. a part of my life. I mean, I, I'm I'm an educator, and I just love to to you know, use that perspective to, uh, to to deal with uh, with this particular journey. And I know okay. my wife appreciates it, and that gives me a big boost. Wonderful. Well, and we we appreciate all of the time that you've taken with us today. Um, it, it just is extremely helpful. You were loaded with great information and insight, and um, and it's just you're just a beautiful um, role model for the rest of us. And uh, oh, thank you. Again, congratulations on uh, your 60-year anniversary. Are you going to do anything special there? Or? Well, we. Um, yeah, I, I'm still toying with an with an idea. Maybe uh, we haven't uh, traveled for for a while, but maybe I'll find one that uh, some sort of a cruise or something that Joyce will enjoy. Uh, I have to be careful with that because a part of it is people go, you know, when they stop at various ports and go out and. And look around, and uh, uh, I just want to be sure it's going to be something that will that Joyce will really enjoy. Although I must say, she just loves. Um, I think the thing that she enjoys right now, the thing that she enjoys more than anything else, is being close to her grandkids and being at home. Mm-hmm. And so uh, we may just go out for a special dinner. I, I just haven't. Uh, Finish the final plans for that. Sure. But we'll do something. We'll do, US, either way. Mm-hmm. Say we'll do something special, whatever we do. Yeah, mm-hmm. I wish in the U.S. they had what they have over in the the U.K. and Europe is um, they have dementia adventures, and mm. so it's travel um, that's mm. dementia friendly. But I mean, they're de- they're developing dementia friendly communities and um, doing mm-hmm. some really cool cool things. And um, you know, and I know, as someone progresses with the disease, you, you do have to be careful with changing their environment. Um, yes, yes, because, right. You know, and you'd hate to get too far away and then find out it's not working well. <laughs> you know, right. Right. Um, right. Even so, when we're, uh, you know, I mentioned she she just loves being close to her grandkids, and uh, they're over here quite a bit, and we have dinners with, with various uh, with one or two of our sons. Uh, and um, but it's it, it's not very long into the evening, and she never used to do this. And she'll say, uh, "I'd like to go home now." Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, uh, and and you know she she knows that I'm not ready, and uh, she'll be patient, but um, not too patient. And so we we sort of compromise on that, and. Um, so, so, and and, I'm, and 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 Rick gave me some good insights. I must say, Rick, that uh, just from how you experience these things, that I hadn't really. Well, I, I appreciate that, Sumner. I did want to tell you real quick, uh, mentioning about taking trips and things like that. Phil uh, Stewart and I took a little mini vacation here. I don't know, maybe a month ago, and we went down to Nashville. We haven't been there for several years. So we thought that would be good. 
And the ride down was fine. She drove all the way, of course, because I, I no longer drive hardly any at all. And uh, But as soon as we got out of the car and we went into the house, things immediately changed because I was out of my environment. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't know what I was thinking when we decided to do that, but it was yeah. it was a real drastic week for me. Uh, you know, it's busy everywhere in Nashville, and then plus uh, the place we stayed at, nothing it was just different i was out of my environment and uh i think from now on in we'll just take little mini trips like friday to sunday or something so and close to home so i can get back if need be so i I didn't realize it would affect me the way it did but it was a learning experience for sure right well that that's uh that's good to hear and i and you've given me a a a different perspective on, on on that as far as uh what we do on the outside, uh, uh, Joyce and I, and uh, and it's a it's a viewpoint that I really didn't have until you've been talking about it uh, here today. So thank you for that. How we learn, my friend. Yeah, you bet. That's good. Well, I want to thank you both for your time today. It's just been a it's been a great conversation, and I've uh, as always I've learned. I, I always learn from this show um, from our guests and our conversation. So. Thank you so much um, again for your time, Sumner, and for Rick for you being able to join us for a whole show. That's just that's so exciting too. So um, thank that's you great. so much. I'm going to go ahead and just kind of wrap up the show here, and um, I want to thank all of our listeners for um, hanging in with us today and learning and sharing the knowledge, and for Leanne for calling in. Um, you had some wonderful insight as well, and we very much appreciate that. Our next show will be June 4th, and that's with Marlene Schoenberg, and she's going to be talking about swallowing safely and lifestyle choices because sometimes with dementia people forget how to swallow, and she's just got some incredible insight. Um, I was just fascinated talking with her. And then on uh, June 5th we'll have Mary McGrath and Angela Taylor, and we're going to talk about love, Louie body, and laughter. And then on June 6th, Seventh, we're going to have Bailey with us, and Bailey is a teenager um, whose dad got diagnosed, I believe, when she was 13 years old, and she's still in high school, but she's going to talk about her journey, and then we've got some other great shows coming up a little further down the road in June. I can't, I can't believe it's going to be June already, right. so um, the year, once again, is going fast. My mother was right. The older you get, the faster the time flies, so... Thank you again all for joining us. And if anyone is interested in sharing their story or maybe they have a a book or a product or a service um, or maybe it's someone living with the disease who has uh, has dementia, I would love to talk with you. So please feel free to reach out to me. And as always, remember to focus on the three simple things that your memory chip teaches you. Are they safe? Are they happy? Are they pain-free? In the meantime, have a wonderful week, and we will talk to you all soon. Bye now. Bye-bye. Hi, everyone. This is Meredith from the Senior Fitness with Meredith podcast, where I discuss all things for seniors. From fitness, your health and wellness journeys, how to be all over strong and beyond. I also have my mini podcast called Motivation with Meredith. It's a great, quick, motivational pick-me-up for your days. Join me. Listen now. Search for Senior Fitness with Meredith on your favorite podcast platform.